Hello, welcome to Jays from Home, a podcast about the Toronto Blue Jays hosted by two brothers. That's myself, Steve, and my brother, Matt. Unfortunately, he could not be here today as he was running the Ottawa Race Weekend Marathon this morning, so we didn't record together, uh, but he did send me some results. Uh, he finished the race, uh, I guess his time was 2 hours, 52 minutes, and 44 seconds. Uh, his pace was 8 minutes and 11 seconds per kilometer, and uh, I guess he placed 6,519 out of 8,676, so I think that's uh, I think that's pretty good. Um, I don't think it's first place, uh, but it was a very hot day today, so I am sure that uh, that the marathon itself was quite difficult to run, so uh, good job, Matt, for running the race. I definitely would not have done that, although I was outside in the heat myself uh the uh, odawa friendship center powwow the 44th annual was uh this weekend and uh yeah it's been hot and sunny all weekend and on top of that there's been a lot of stuff going on in ottawa this weekend it seems like they uh somebody just decided to pack all the events into one weekend um for example, uh, the Great Glebe Garage Sale, which uh, happens every year in uh, the Glebe neighborhood. It's a gigantic garage sale. A whole bunch of people put up tables and stuff. Um, there was that. And then also um, there was apparently the Governor General's Performing Arts Awards were Saturday night as well. So like uh, and, and there was a Red Blacks preseason game, um, Atletico soccer game. There's, there was a whole bunch of stuff going on. I don't really know why so much stuff was packed into this weekend, but it was very busy in Ottawa. But the only thing that wasn't in Ottawa were the Ottawa Titans. But uh, I am getting far, far away from the Toronto Blue Jays. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at Jays from Home. Uh, on Mastodon, at Jays from Home as well, and uh, Matt's Substack, which he might get back to writing now that he's finished his marathon, is Matt Gower's Brain on Baseball. Uh, well, this week, uh, the results, not so great. Um, unfortunately, though, uh, neither Matt nor myself really uh, watched a lot of Blue Jays this week, uh, me because of softball, and Matt, I guess, just a uh, combination of getting ready for the race and 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 timing not working out, but um, Monday they lost six to four. Um, this was the game where Bassett's scoreless, scoreless streak ended in the second inning. Um, although, according to the notes, the runs were unearned, so I guess that's good. Um, but uh, there was uh, there was some good things happening in that game. I mean, Springer had a great catch in the third inning. Um, Kevin Kiermaier threw out Wander Franco at home in the bottom of the fifth and, and Varsho hit a home run. Um, and the Blue Jays loaded the bases in, uh, in the ninth inning. So, um, all in all, it wasn't bad, but it also wasn't great. Uh, so it's, it's unfortunate that they lost against a tough AL East opponent. Um, and, um, Chris Bassett said of that game, um, you can't give multiple outs to a really good team and expect to win. We're just not playing good baseball right now, and we've got to clean a lot of things up. From a pitching standpoint to base running, all facets of the game, we've got to clean it up. And I definitely agree with Chris Bassett right there. Uh, Tuesday, uh, I guess they did clean it up. They won 20-1. to 1. The Jays were 9-14 for 14 with runners in scoring position. Um, a lot of players played. I'm not going to go through all of the, uh, the batting scores. Uh, Matt left the, uh, the game, the box score notes here of all the scoring, but, uh, um, so this, uh, a note on the win, uh, this 19 run win is the second largest in Blue Jay history behind last year's lopsided win. They won 28 to five against Boston last July. Uh, so that's, uh, this 20 to 1 win is the second largest run uh, victory in uh, Blue Jays history. Um, and uh, fun fact here apparently, the Rays pitching staff for the first two weeks of the season had 19 earned runs, and the entire pitching staff for the Rays on that night versus the Blue Jays 
had 19 earned runs. So that's uh, quite the catch-up. In the game, though, in the ninth inning, Vlad, uh, he struck out against... uh, Tampa Bay Rays uh, pitcher or uh, position player Rayleigh, who was pitching, uh, he struck out, and uh, so he signed signed a ball, baseball. He signed his name, and then he wrote on the ball, "You got me." So unfortunately, all the good vibes kind of ended there. Uh, Wednesday, the Blue Jays lost seven to three, and Jansen left that game with left groin tightness, which is unfortunate because he's been a pretty good bat in the catcher position. Um, a positive from that one, though, is that Craig Biggio, or sorry, Kevin Biggio, uh, that'd be quite something if Craig Biggio hit the home run, but, uh, Kevin Biggio hit the home run, hit a home run in the eighth. So that's, that's good, uh, that his bat was working. Um, Thursday was another loss, six to three. It was a poor outing from Manoa. He only had three innings pitched. Uh, he had six strikeouts, but he had five walks and four earned runs, which is unfortunate. Uh, So moving on to the Twins. um, So good news. uh, After today's game, the Blue Jays won that series versus the Twins. I feel like it's been forever since they've won a series. Uh, But uh, they won Friday 3-1, which was a great game from Kevin Gosman. One earned run, eight strikeouts, six walks. Uh, And then Saturday, Twins won 9-7. And things were actually going well until Bassett gave up back-to-back home runs in the fifth. And one of those, Varsho missed uh, missed the catch, but he knocked it over the fence. Um, the other one, he almost caught it over the fence, but it was it was already over. So um, it's just bad luck for Varsho on that. And then Kiermaier left the game in that pain with lo- in that game with lower back pain. So that is unfortunate as well. But this afternoon, Sunday, the Blue Jays won three to nothing. And, um, Varsho makes up for made up for Saturday's defense uh, by making a great jumping catch at the wall, and uh, he also made a strong throw to third uh, to get a runner out uh, earlier in the game. So that's that's great. Good to see Varsho having a good game, especially because it looks like Kiermaier is going to be out for a little while. Um, okay, so that means. The Blue Jays' record at the end of today, end of Sunday, is now 28 and 26, which is still last in the AL East. But they are two games above 500, so I'm not going to complain too much about that one. Um, so my weekly outcomes: my strikeout is the base running for the Blue Jays. They've run into like a billion outs this week on the base paths, which is not good at all, and uh, and they need to be doing better. Um, I think even in today's game. I saw that Springer was uh, called out. That was a, a stolen base attempt, but uh, I don't know. It just seems like the Blue Jays can't do anything right on the bases lately. Um, Saturday, Brandon Belt tried to stretch a single into a double, and he was called out. They went for the replay review, but it was too close to call, so the play on the field stood as an out. Um, I don't know. I just think that the base running needs to be better, and that's not really a surprise. Uh, no decision for this week for me is Jordan Romano. Um, good good uh, example of this is that he uh, he closed out the game today, uh, did a great job, but uh, earlier in the week and overall the last two weeks really, he's kind of been not too reliable. I think he gave up a home run this week. Um, and yeah, it's, Romano just... It's, he's, I don't know, he's, I'm just not confident in his closing abilities lately, but uh, hopefully that's something that, uh, that can change in, in the near future, but, um, and that today's game is, is a good sign of things to come, but I don't know, his, he doesn't seem super confident in his pitches, that's, that's what I'm getting, Uh, and my home run is Bo Bichette, who has been very consistent throughout all of this, uh, all of this stuff going on. Um, he's been one of the only players hitting consistently, and um, and yeah, uh, he's he's kind of like the rock in the lineup. So I'm glad that he is still uh, doing very well and uh, and hasn't fallen into the same black hole that the rest of the Blue Jays seem to have fallen into. Um, okay, so some Jays notes. Uh, at the beginning of the week, the Blue Jays put Santiago Espinal 
on the 10-day injured list for uh, a hamstring. Um, and they activated Otto Lopez for the game against the Rays. Um, so that's unfortunate because when uh, when they when Espinal came out of that game on Sunday, I think it was uh, he had he had a three for three game going, and uh, it's too bad that it seemed like maybe he was putting something together, and now he's on the injured list. But speaking of players on the injured list, Hunjin Ryu. Um, he's been targeting a return after the All-Star break, and that is July 10 to 13th. Um, so he says that he's that's his goal right now, and he's set up his schedule accordingly. So hopefully that happens, because I think um, uh, they showed some pictures and video of, of Hunjin Ryu, and he looks in like really great shape. So uh, it seems like as part of his rehabilitation, uh, maybe he's he's just done some extra extra work to to get into some better shape and hopefully uh hopefully that that bodes well for his his pitching when he returns and i I think the blue jays could definitely use uh an extra pitcher an extra good arm this uh this week um some and then just to end off with some negative news that fans aren't aren't happy at all with um this week the blue jays um doubled some season ticket prices and uh and fans definitely aren't happy about that um so apparently one family told the toronto star that they'd paid about fifteen thousand dollars for two tickets but would likely now have to spend more than a hundred and thirty seven thousand dollars to remain in the third row um Jay's officials later clarified that the new layout saw a third row added to the ultra pre- premium in the action section. So equivalent seats for that family, the first row of the next section up would actually cost $38,000, which is over twice as much. So so not good either way. Um, the club clarified things, but uh, that didn't really help them very much. Um, but, uh, but yeah, this is uh, not a good look right now for the Blue Jays being last place in the AL East. But it, it kind of makes sense. The Jays have a high payroll they just renovated the Rogers Center, and there's going to be another renovation next offseason. So they kind of have to pay for things uh, a little bit. But uh, it's unfortunate for the optics. And, uh, and I mean, everything was seemed to have been announced quietly. So, um, yeah, not, not a great look for that. Um, okay, well, let's look ahead to the Blue Jays' schedule in the coming week. They start a series at home against Milwaukee on Tuesday going until Thursday and then they leave for the uh, for New York to face the Mets um on Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So I think that's going to be uh a fairly tough week. I don't really know too much about the Mets. Matt would have to answer this one, but I'm pretty sure the Brewers are playing pretty well right now and I think Rowdy Telez specifically uh former Blue Jay has been lighting things up quite a bit um just do a quick check-in with our b teams cleveland is uh 23 and 29 third in the al central and seattle is 28 and 25 third in the al west so matt i would just like to say that seattle is clearly doing better than cleveland right now uh cleveland um under 500 whereas seattle is over 500 but it is kind of funny that both teams are third in their division but you know, what can you do? It's just like the Blue Jays are over 500, but they're last in the division. Uh, it's not too much you can you can do about that. Um, in other MLB news, just to finish things off, um, apparently uh, the Baltimore Orioles had their City Connect jerseys released. Um, Matt sent this to me. He likes the jerseys from what I recall him saying, but I'm not really a fan. So just to describe them, if you haven't seen them yet, it is a black jersey with the text Baltimore across the front. Um, the this Baltimore wordmark is inspired by the Globe-style posters from the Globe Collection and press at the Maryland Institution of Art. And then on the sleeves and collars, they have uh, multicolored uh, a multicolored interior design represents the neighborhoods that shape Baltimore. There's a scripted B logo worn as the sleeve patch and on front cap taking front, taken from the Orioles road Jersey logo. And uh, there is a tag. You can't clip these wings penned by Baltimore poet 
Kondwani Fidel. Um, yeah, so they're they're not bad jerseys, but they're not my favorite. Uh, they seem kind of plain to me other than the dash of color added to them. I wish that they would be a little bit more. And uh, I mentioned the Brewers being the Blue Jays' opponent next week. Apparently, um, the Major League Baseball has pressured the Brewers to make $448 million in repairs to the American family field. Um, uh, a little bit about that is that uh, so the MLB is trying to put pressure uh, on Wisconsin legislature to approve these renovations because um, what I didn't realize is that this is a publicly owned ballpark. So it's not so easy to just fund the renovations. Uh, the Brewers apparently detailed the upgrades that they needed Um but uh, local officials, the club, the league, they're all still in discussion. They need to approve things. Um, I, I guess there's uh, there hasn't been any major upgrades or repairs since, uh, since the ballpark opened in 2001. So that's something still ongoing. It's too bad that... Uh, that that kind of thing is going on still, but uh, hopefully the uh, the repairs can be made. And uh, I think it's a, it's a nice ballpark from what I recall seeing. So um, hopefully something happens with that. But the MLB is trying to put pressure on local legislature to get that pushed through. Um, and some good news. Last week we talked about the Dodgers uh, kicking out the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence from their... Uh, from their Pride Nights on June 16th. Well, apparently they have welcomed them back. Uh, so that is some good news to uh, to finish off our our look at Major League Baseball news. Um, the I have a quick Ottawa Titans check-in before we get to Matt's interview with Dr. Paul Semendinger. Um, the Titans are, are not having a good season. They are five and ten, uh, three and seven in their last ten games. Um, they they lost their series against the Miners. Uh, they they won on Tuesday, but then they lost a doubleheader on Thursday. But the story behind that is that the doubleheader was as a result of uh, some power issues, which forced the the rescheduling of the game to a doubleheader starting at 11 a.m. on a Thursday. Uh, it, it was after a major power breakdown. Um, and so... It was still unresolved Thursday morning, uh, so that basically they had to play a morning and afternoon doubleheader, and you can imagine already hard enough to get fans to come out to a small market team uh, like the Frontier League. I'm sure they played uh, to no fans at all on uh, on Thursday morning, which is unfortunate, but hopefully they can get that fixed up coming uh, in the next couple of weeks or so because I think the Titans are coming back this week uh, home but uh, other than that they were on the road in New Jersey they lost that series as well but the newest is that they played in Hinchcliffe Stadium which is really cool uh, the story behind this is that um, Hinchcliffe Stadium for the first time in 26 years has reopened it's one of the last surviving Negro League parks uh, it just went, underwent a $103 million renovation and is now home to the New Jersey Jackals. So Ottawa uh, just played a series at Hinchcliffe Stadium. So that's really cool. Um, some more notes about the stadium. MLB analyst and former All-Star Harold Reynolds has expressed hopes for a Field of Dreams-style game at Hinchcliffe Stadium in Patterson, New Jersey. The historic Negro League state. Oh, I just read that. Um, so yeah, hopefully that would actually be really cool if they could do uh, a Field of Dreams game in uh, at that stadium in New Jersey, and that would I, I would hope that it also uh, leads to uh, some more interest in uh, in the Frontier League. Um, that would be good news for the new, for the Jackals. Well, I'm not really sure what their attendance is like. I, I think it's probably a lot better than Ottawa's, but uh, that that's really cool to see them. Uh, see them in a historic stadium that just got some renovations. Well, that is really all that I have left. I'm going to skip my personal outcomes. I'm just going to throw to the interview that Matt did with Paul Semendinger. Um, I'll, I'll just uh, do a quick 
reading of the description that uh, that Matt sent me. Leading up to Matt's half marathon on Sunday, Matt and Paul Semendinger talk about all things running and how it relates to baseball. And they also talk some Yankees baseball later on. And uh, also don't forget that uh, that um, Paul Semendinger is the author of the book Roy White from Compton to the Bronx. And uh, you can check out the link in the show notes to to that book. Um, I'm not going to stump Matt on this music in this break today. Uh, thanks for listening. Hope you enjoy the interview, and uh, we'll see you next week when Matt and I should both be back. Welcome back, Paul Semendinger. Uh, nice, nice to see you again so so soon. Um, now you 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 have uh, been busy with a book lately. So why don't you just tell us a little bit about uh, uh, how the reception has been so far for um, your Roy White from Compton to the Bronx uh, book? Yes. So here it is, uh, Roy White from Compton to the Bronx, and the reception has been great. People who have read it have, and there have been lots and lots of them, have told me that they've really enjoyed it. They've learned a whole lot about Roy White. I've had the pleasure of doing numerous book uh, signing events with Roy White. And, you know, to 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 be next to somebody who is so beloved by the fan base and, and seeing the adulation he receives from them and the joy they have from being with him and meeting him and shaking his hand and getting his autograph, it's really just been a delight. And, and you know, I always wanted to be a Major League Baseball player. I'm not saying I'm living vicariously through that, but <laughs> I'm able to see what it would have been like if if I had been a great baseball player for the Yankees and and the way that the fans react to to Roy White is really something very special. Yeah, and and do you feel like you're any closer to your goal of getting him into Monument Park? What, do you think this has helped? That's a great 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 question. I I think you know what? I have no idea. <laughs> I think it's helped the conversation. Uh Roy White has been on numerous radio programs and uh, big time media stuff in the New York area. And there have been numerous New York radio personalities who have made the point that Roy White belongs in Monument Park and have brought that up on the air in the big media. Mm -hmm. So before the book, that wasn't being talked about at all. So in that regard, yes, it's it's being talked about and people are discussing it. But I, as as far as how much that's happening within the Yankee organization itself, I would have no idea. Well, I, I, I yeah, I think I think you've you've definitely helped that case for sure, and I hope I hope to, to see it soon. Um, now we'll we'll get back to baseball in a little bit, but the reason why um, I had you on the show um, is because. I'm going to be away from the show. Uh, we, we normally record on Sundays, but I'll be away running uh, my, I think it's my third or fourth half marathon. Um, so I thought I would uh, bring you along because you are a pretty avid runner yourself. Yes, yes. I'm a big time runner. In fact, a couple weeks ago, I just finished the Pittsburgh marathon. That was my 24th marathon. <laughs> I guess you've got um, three more to go that you can match the Yankees titles, eh? <laughs> Yes, indeed. No <laughs> doubt. No doubt. Yes. And number 25 will be in New York in November. So I'm okay. getting there, getting close. Is it, is, and is it November? The, the, is that the big New York uh, marathon? Yes. Okay. Yes, okay. That's, that's the one. Yep. It's always the first Sunday in November. And that was my first marathon. You know, I'm a, I'm a New Jersey guy. I'm a big New York fan. Uh, and, um, you know, when I ran that thing, it just changed everything uh, as far mm -hmm. as um, so many different aspects of my life, this idea that I could actually run 26.2 miles and complete a marathon. And, but, but it was more than that. It was the crowds and the joy and the magnitude of the whole event that uh, after I finished, I was hooked forever. For sure. Yeah. It's, de it's definitely uh, along with the adrenaline rush afterwards, very addictive. Now, what back before even you joined you you signed up for the marathon why do you run what made you what made you a runner 
That's a great question. Boy, Matt, you I love I love doing these uh, talks with you because you ask things that that make me take a step back and, and really think about it. Um, I think there were a few reasons I became a runner. Um, number one, I wanted to be in shape. I never I'm not a sedentary style life guy. I don't I don't just sit around. And the idea of the marathon is this giant thing, right, that's out there. And and once I started running, I started thinking, I wonder how far I can run. Mm-hmm. And I had a friend who since passed away, a family friend, um, and he was a marathoner and he had run two marathons. And one day I went out and I ran 10 miles and I was all happy. And he came over and I said, hey, I just ran 10 miles. And he goes, you did 10 miles. You could run a marathon. I'm like, what are you talking about? It's impossible. <laughs> but, you know, it's just it's just the whole idea of getting into shape. And I, I have to say also, this is probably immature, but, you know, my favorite movies of all time were the Rocky movies. And <laughs> as he gets into shape, he runs. And so I've always been inspired by Rocky and he runs. And maybe that's something that helped get me started, too. Yeah, no, I I, 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 uh, I, I was never able to kind of get into that mindset of running until I was into my, my 30s. I, I guess probably being a, a smoker in my 20s didn't didn't help that at all, but uh it would, it's been an, a, a lifelong goal to start running, and I didn't do it until until like until I was in my my 30s, and and it's it's uh, it's it's been a, a good 10 year run of 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 doing getting lots of steps in for sure. No um, doubt. Yeah. Now you 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 wrote a really interesting blog post about the Pittsburgh Marathon. What was it like running that marathon with your son? It was the best. Uh, that was the first time I've run a couple halves with uh, my son named Alex. Um, we've done five K's and five milers with my youngest son, Ethan, but I've never run a marathon with any of my three boys. And Mm. so I ran this one with my oldest son, Ryan. It was his third marathon. It was, uh, uh, his second big marathon. He, we, Mm. we did a small one a couple of months ago as a training run. He did the whole thing. I didn't go the whole distance, but that was his second full marathon down in the, at the Jersey shore. But it was really it was it was awesome because we had the we we spent the weekend we went to Pittsburgh we toured Pittsburgh we went to a Pirates game, Jays game, <laughs> against the Blue Jays that is correct yeah and it was it was just fantastic and the best part was we ran probably the first ten miles together mm-hmm. and I was right with them stride for stride Pittsburgh's a tough hilly marathon in the second half it is brutal I've driven and, through there before it's 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 yeah there, there's a there's a hill at mile 12 or 13 that I'm trying to block out of my memory. That, that's that's steeper than Mount Everest, I'm sure. Sir, I'd been Hillary wouldn't have been able to climb that that, that hill. And anyway, at one point, like I knew I couldn't maintain that pace with Ryan. So I sent him on. I said, go, man, just go. And he went. Um, and after I finished, my favorite part of the whole race was it was a tough half, tough second half. I was miserable uh, at at times and was basically quitting the sport forever in my mind numerous times <laughs> and then it started raining right at the finish so that just made the whole thing more miserable but yeah. i got my medal and then i had to figure out all right now i've got to somehow walk back to the hotel and i come out of the shoot you know where they have the runners going through that shoot area and there was ryan standing there and he came up to me and gave me a big hug and it was just great yeah, that must be a really great feeling. My 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 sons are a little too young, five and three, to 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 run the marathon with me. But uh, right, I'm at this at this point. Parenting is just a marathon for me. It is no doubt. Yeah. Um. Now, like you said, with all the 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 hills, like it sounded like a pretty grueling route. Um. Was it one of the more challenging marathons that you've ever done? Without a doubt, it was. It was definitely one of the more challenging marathons I've ever done. That that second half and that hill, I'm telling you, were were tough. And it was just it was just relentless. It didn't stop. The hills just kept coming and coming. And, you know, I did the first half really fast, but I don't and I kept saying to Ryan as we were running, like, I don't feel like I'm pushing myself too hard. And he's like, no, we're at a good clip. We're just doing fine. We've done a lot of training runs together. We've run a lot together. But that second half just beat me to beat me to shreds. So mm-hmm. yeah, one of one of the toughest ever. I'll tell you something funny. This 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 you might get a kick out of. So the Pittsburgh Marathon sent a survey to to all the runners. I guess a week after the race or so, and and so you know, rate us on a scale of one to ten. So did you like the race? Ten. Was the organization good? Ten. 
where the water stops good. 10. How was the expo? 10. Everything. I gave them 10s. It was great. Would you run it again? One. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure I messed up their whole system there. Yeah, the algorithm is is, is angry now. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yeah, no, no. That Well, I think... Yeah, it's good that they waited a week to send out the uh, the survey because I think all, the answers would have turned out a lot different if they were like right after the survey, the, 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 the race. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Um, now, you mentioned that you wanted to, to quit racing forever numerous times over that over that uh, that that run. Was that the first time those thoughts have ever like come up for you or does it happen with every race? It doesn't happen with every race. It's happened before. Uh, there have been times I've said, this is just ridiculous. I'm not doing this anymore. But the difference this time was I was convinced I was done. I, <laughs> you know, I'm now in my mid fifties. Like you, I didn't really start running, you know, distances until I was in my thirties. I, I didn't run in high school or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so T.S. Eliot has this quote. Only those who risk going too far can find out how far they can go. And I've used that as like a motivation. That's always been something that inspired me. I can go further. And that second half in Pittsburgh, I said that quote in my head and I went, I found out. I yeah. found out how far I can go. This is it. I'm done. <laughs> so <laughs> so that, I, kept I, going, but I was figuring that was it. Sorry. Yeah, no, I was wondering about that quote too because it was it was it something that something it sounds like it's something that you brought with you as kind of like your 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 motivational kind of mantra. Yes, in fact, early on in my marathon career, I used to carry a little card. I'd made I made a little index card and I wrote lots of different quotes on it, mm-hmm. and I would carry it with me. I hadn't done that in a while, and I didn't do it on this race, but there are lots of running quotes that are firmly ingrained in my head <laughs> that I, that I go to. And I, that when I try to dig deep and, and get through tough patches for sure. Yeah. Like for me, for me running just is, is it just makes, I, I know that if I can keep running, I can, I can, I can take that extra, like, you know, hour trying to get the kids to sleep in the middle of the night. So it's, it's, it's all, it's all, it all comes together. It all, it all comes full circle in the end. Um, now, with that, with that card, it almost sounds like, like you know, when the when the baseball players bring out their positioning, <laughs> with the for for on the on the field. So, um, like for me, you make marathon running kind of sound similar to a pitcher standing out there all alone on the mound, kind of gutting it out with like one just facing one more batter, batter trying to stay in the game. Are there any other similar similarities that you find between running and baseball? You know, you make a great point about the pitcher being on the mound. I. Uh... As you know, I still play baseball, and so I was pitching just the other night, and mm-hmm. we were winning. It was the fourth inning. I like to pride myself. I'm a marathoner, right? That mm-hmm. I could go nine. I got it in me. But I pitched six on Sunday, and then this was Tuesday night, so it's, I had one day rest. And I was in the fourth inning, and I don't throw hard. I don't necessarily have a big arsenal of trick pitches. I can throw strikes. That's what I can do. And all of a sudden, I walked a couple guys, and I did something I never do. I walked a guy home. Now I never, I've never, I, maybe once in my life. Uh, so I'm, I was struggling. And right, you have to find a way to get something that's deep inside yourself to to push through. And and I think that's it's like that with every sport. It's there's a point when we think we have nothing more to give, and it's at that point that. If we really look inside ourselves, we find out that just might be a little more. I worked with, I coached all my kids as they grew up in all the sports, baseball, soccer, and basketball um, throughout their whole recreation lives. And one of the great coaches I worked with um, once did this little activity. He goes, raise your hand as high as it can go. And then all the kids did that. And he goes, now raise it higher. And they all did that. <laughs> and and I think that's it's like that with sports, right? We there's yeah. there's always more to give. You mm-hmm. hope. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And for me, um early on running, I think Roy Halliday was one of my big inspirations because he was big. Uh, he's not the only pitcher that did this, but like he was famous for kind of running, getting out there early at five in the morning and, and running like laps around around the stadium, running laps around around uh, the pitchers, you know. So so he was definitely a big inspiration for me. Um, baseball. Another thing that ha- baseball has uh, is uh, superstitions. Do you have any superstitions around running? You know, not really. Um you're not supposed to wear a race shirt until you finish the race. So I don't do that. 
Well, that's um, not a superstition. That's just that's just a defense against chapped nipples, really. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, some people get the race shirt and then they wear it, even if they didn't finish the, the race or run the race. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I, I suppose that. Yeah. <laughs> I have a I have a dear friend who won't wear a race shirt from a race until he's completed the next race. Mm. I've never done that. That's mm-hmm. his inspiration to run just one more, so mm-hmm. he could wear the la- latest previous race shirt, but. I don't really have any superstitions. It's really just get out there and do it, right? Get out there and run. Yeah, yeah, same here. Um, and do you, what about the night before the race? Do you have like a specific meal that you like to like load up load up on? Yes, I always like. And the research has changed. So my first marathon was in 2002, and back then they used to talk a lot about carb loading. You better mm-hmm. carb load. And there, there's, I think the research changed a little bit on that. You don't have to really carb load the night before a race, but that's sort of been my excuse to overindulge maybe so my favorite place to eat before a race is the olive garden because they have the unlimited pasta and the unlimited salad there you go so and breadsticks so Mm -hmm. i i get to go to the olive garden and eat a little too much and 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 enjoy that there wasn't an olive garden in walking distance in pittsburgh so we went to a pizza parlor a parlor got a couple of slices of pizza and some spaghetti and that had to do for us for sure now i imagine you got to like did you get to run across the roberto clemente bridge was that part of the race no I guess because of the game, maybe that was that was closed down. Now the Roberto Clemente Bridge was closed the the whole weekend we were there. I don't know why. I think they were painting it, maybe. Oh, okay. But none of those three yellow bridges are part of the race. Oh, that's a shame. It is a shame. I, I have to be honest. The first time I ran New York, I was surprised that the Brooklyn Bridge isn't part of the New York City Marathon. I mean, it's so iconic, but you you don't run over the Brooklyn Bridge. I see. Now, and, and how was your experience? Just you were you said you were at the the, the Jays the Jays Pirates game um, the night before. How was your experience with that? I loved it. Uh, in fact, I wrote an article for the Internet Baseball Writers Association. I'll put it on my blog one of these days when I need to <laughs> fill a time slot. Uh, but uh, comparing PNC Park to Yankee Stadium and just saying what a great experience it was at PNC Park. I'm a Yankee fan, obviously. Love the Yankees <laughs> and. I don't necessarily love Yankee Stadium as much as I wish I did. PNC Park was sort of what I wish Yankee Stadium was. It was such a great place to watch a game. The sight lines were beautiful. Mm-hmm. It, was, it wasn't It was overly loud. I took my cousin from Virginia to a Yankee game last summer, and he sat right next to me, and we couldn't barely talk. He would say stuff. I'd say, what? Because the stadium's just, it's its like every second they have to have something loud playing over the PA system. It's its its, it's too much. And PNC Park, they allowed the game to, there were noise, there was noise, there was dun 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 and all that kind of stuff. But it wasn't constant. They allowed the game to be the focus, not the scoreboard in center field. Yeah, no, I've, I've heard that about Yankee Stadium, that the new Yankee Stadium, that is pretty loud. And yeah, I've been I've been to PNC uh, before a while ago. And yeah, it's it's my favorite ballpark that I've, I've been to out of all of them. It's 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 got the great backdrop. And when I was there, we got to walk. Actually, we, we walked across uh, Roberto Clemente Bridge to get to the game. So they, they, they awesome. had that open. Yeah, it was it was amazing. Um, and, and yeah, just with all the. All, all the the history of, of of that team with Roberto Clemente and Pop Stargell, all, all those guys. It's 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 just a great place to be, and and just that that yellow is just is just so iconic. And it, it, the coloring is beautiful. Every, yeah, and and so we walked over, I guess, the Andy Warhol Warhol Bridge to get to the game, and same thing. They both go to the basically the same street. And then you mm-hmm. make the left hand turn, and as you approach the ballpark on that road, there's that big statue of Willie Stargell. Oh, it's great. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now we're, we're talking baseball. So let's, let's talk some Yankees baseball now. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to ask a big question first. I don't know. I, uh, maybe, maybe you don't have the answer to this, but is Aaron Boone the Yankees manager next year? I think absolutely. At this point, the Yankees have turned it around. Um, I, I was very discouraged in, in April. They were in last place in May. They've been great. They've really, I think they're, uh, 15 and six or something like that. 15 and seven mm-hmm. off the top of my head. They've been playing great ball. They played great against the blue Jays. They played great against Tampa Bay. Um, so far they've split the last two against the Orioles. So somewhere late April, early May, somebody asked how Steinbrenner, like is Aaron Boone, your manager, if the Yankees have a bad year. And he says, Aaron Boone is my manager. And the Yankees just re-upped with him. So I can't, foresee them firing him okay no i thought maybe he was in his last year of his contract but he, he has re- signed an extension 
Yes. Okay. Um, now, so you just kind of took the words out of my next question. Like, is, is it too early to say that the Yankees have turned around the season? Yes. So we had an, actually, you, 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 we had an article on the site. You're so good. Um, like you read my mind sometimes. <laughs> uh, um, every Tuesday we run an article called the Tuesday discussion and I send a question to all our writers and then they write in just a quick little answer to something. And I wrote like, have the Yankees turn the corner? And it was interesting to see how everybody was viewing it. My position is it seems like they did. You can make arguments that they did. They're playing great baseball right now. Maybe they did. It is much too early. Last year, they were the best team like in history almost Mm -hmm. right up till July 1st. And then they were terrible the rest of the way. It was a disaster. And they couldn't figure out how to fix that, which was part of the problem. And I don't think Aaron Boone knew how to fix it. I don't think he's the world's greatest manager. Uh, He wins a lot of games during the regular season. He does not win a lot of games in the postseason. The Yankees' postseason success with Aaron Boone hasn't been great. Now, some people argue that it's the result of a small sample size. That's a crapshoot. Anything can happen in a small series. But when anything happens year after year, mm. there has to be another. There has to be another answer. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think I think one of the the big answers or even questions is about that starting rotation. Um, how have they kind of kept it together with those mounting injuries? Because it seems like they, they're just they're just kind of were falling apart, like leading up and going into the season, like Carlos Rodon and all those guys. Like how how have they 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 kept it together? Uh, duct tape, magic, <laughs> and and a lot of hope. The guy who really kept it together was Garrett Cole. Yeah, he yeah. started off the season unbelievably great. And he was like an automatic for his first six or seven starts. You knew that he was going to give you a great outing and you knew the Yankees were going to win. And they did. If he didn't pitch that well, the Yankees could have really been up the creek. Nestor Cortez hasn't been great. He's been good. He hasn't been great. Domingo Herman has been very good. But, um, you know, He's Yankee fans. Now. Yes, he is. Yankee fans get very frustrated with him. There was something about. Something that happened somewhere at some time that led to a suspension that we never got the answers for a couple years ago. Something that wasn't good. Mm. And then, you know, he, he got caught with the sticky stuff on his hands in one game and they gave him a warning, which nobody really quite understands why you get a warning sometimes and not other times. But then yeah. the next time he comes out with the same umpire and crew, he's still got the stuff on him. And they said it's, they've never felt hands so sticky. So, like, what are you doing, buddy? Um yeah. Luis Severino's now back. You know, the Yankees use like Johnny Brito. He gave him a couple of pretty good starts. Clark Schmidt has not looked good, but somehow the Yankees have been able to weather the storm and they've never quite fallen totally apart. Yeah. Um, and b- between Garrett Cole or Aaron Judge, who's the MVP for this year? So far? I think right now it's Aaron Judge yeah. because the Yankees resurgence came as a result of Aaron Judge coming back from an injury. Okay. And and Garrett Cole hasn't been as good as last couple starts. So, I mean, it, again, it's way too early. But if I had to pick one or the other, the fact that the Cole's vote would be that he kept the team from falling totally apart when they weren't playing well. Judge's argument would be that his comeback, coming back from the injury, and the way he's just pounded the ball and, and he's hitting so well and playing so great, that that's coincided with the Yankees ascending up the standings and, and becoming dominant. So mm-hmm. now do you think this team can withstand any more significant injuries? No, <laughs> <laughs> that's been one of my critiques of the Yankees is they built a team on a very fragile foundation. There's a lot of guys on the team who get injured a lot. And, you know, like this is a common debate I've had with, with, with a lot of Yankee fans, like, the one line of thinking is, well, you know, we'd be better if we didn't have all these injuries. The other line of thinking is, well, how come we have all these injuries? Like, what were the players, who were the players we, ha- we the Yankees signed and brought in to build around? And a guy like Harrison Bader is amazing. I mean, he is really something else when he plays, but he never plays. They traded him. He was injured when they traded for him. Yeah, for a month. I mean, mm-hmm. a month and a half. I never understood that trade. Now he's doing so well that make you that makes you say like, well, they saw how good he can be, and if he can stay healthy, then that's great. But if a guy who's always hurt gets hurt again, 
that's not bad luck. That you just have to assume that's going to happen, right? Yeah. Well, they say like the, the that's the the kind of the 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 ongoing catchphrase for this year is is that the 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 biggest indicator towards a future injury is past injury and 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 the Yankees are full of guys like that so my 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 question about that is why have they put so much hope in guys with with like track records that are full of full of injury I think that's a harder question to get to the to the to the root of and and I don't think you know, one step away or two steps away or five steps away, however many steps away we are from the inner machinations of how the Yankees operate. We can't really know except based upon things that you hear in the newspapers and, and you know, that you read and you listen to online or whatever. Um, there was this idea that the Yankees weren't willing to spend any more money this winter once they got to the last threshold before the biggest tax mm-hmm. and the luxury tax. And if that is true, you can't say the Yankees are cheap because they're spending a lot of money and the Yankees always spend a lot of money, but you can say they're not spending their money wisely and they are being cheap. If that's the right word, when it comes to addressing all of the needs they have, since they're already spending so much on, on, on certain salaries to not address other positions because you don't want to spend more money means you're going to be setting yourself up for a situation where you have to try to play guys who are long shots like Harrison Bader. He's a long shot. He's a long mm. shot to stay healthy. And if he does, that's great. If he doesn't, you're up the creek. Yeah. Now, do you think that part of that is, do you think that they're going to be in the running for Shohei or do you, or no. They, okay. I, there, there are people that really believe that. I, I, I can't see it. Yeah. No, with all, with all the money that they've spent, I, I don't, I, I don't see it either. Like I think the, the Dodgers are kind of putting themselves in, in position for that. And the Mets are, are certainly as well. Um, and I think that interestingly, speaking of the Dodgers, I think they're a team maybe that the Yankees are, 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 are looking at kind of to, cause like the, I was listening to, I think the athletic podcast yesterday and they were saying how the Dodgers are having so many, so much trouble with their pitching that yet they're still like strong and they're still winning games. And I think the Dodgers are a good example for the Yankees and many teams, even the blue Jays to, to kind of look towards, to kind of see what they're doing and, and how they're still winning games somehow. Yeah, the Dodgers, they've been phenomenal, right? They, they're they're in the postseason every year. I mean, the Yankees mm-hmm. are too, but they reach the World Series more often than the Yankees of yeah. these last five or six years. They've been, I think, three times. They've won one. Um, the Astros too, they've been in the World Series a lot these last numbers of years. And the Yankees just can't seem to get to that next level. And uh, listen, I think Brian Cashman has been a very good GM. He's been there for a long time. He's been great. Uh, the Yankees' record of success is unmatched. If you look at the course of his career, they're always over 500. They're most often in the playoffs. They have won a couple of World Series early on in his career as a GM. But I also think there comes a point in time when, you know, even if you're great at something, maybe the organization needs a different view, a different perspective. Sometimes you get blind to things and, and there could, there is the argument. I mean, we, we believe this in our political system. You're only allowed to be president good or bad for two terms. Mm-hmm. Right. So there is this sense, like we don't want you in a position for too long because maybe you get stale there. Maybe there's reasons that change is necessary. And, that doesn't mean that Brian Cashman's not a great GM. That doesn't mean he can't help the team, but maybe he's blind to certain things. Maybe it's time for the Yankees to get some other perspectives in there that help them make the next step forward and get over that hump and reach the World Series. Yeah, now that you kind of mentioned that, it is a bit surprising that he's still kind of got that GM title. Like, I, I wouldn't, I like, he, he he's pre- is he president as well, or? Is that a, I'm a, not sure. I don't think so. No, I think the president's somebody else. That would seem like like would be the next kind of step up, like kind of like the Theo Epstein route, where like he he's president and then gets his his Jed Hoyer to to kind of be his GM and 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 build the team that way, and 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 that that keeps his voice in the in in, in the game as well. But also he gets kind of fresh perspectives. I agree. Now yeah. the Yankees brought in a couple of guys. Who they bring in? They brought in Omar Minaya and. Um, Brian Sabian over the winter, two yep. very successful GMs to give other perspectives to Brian Cashman, hopefully. Yeah, so, we talked about that in the last interview. And yeah, yeah. like you said, like it, it, it definitely like he, not hearing yes all the time is 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 something that that uh, can be a very valuable thing to hear. I agree. Um, 
you know, I was a principal for 24 years um, and loved it. And everybody tells me I did a great job and it was wonderful. Um, worked for lots of different other leaders. And I've seen some leaders who don't want people to disagree with them. But I was taught early on when I was a vice principal, hire the best people. In fact, the, the principal said, hire people better than you. Mm-hmm. Now, it's going to make your job harder because those people are going to challenge you because they are going to be hardworking, great people who are committed. But it's going to make you a better principal. And I always found that the, the teachers at my most recent school, the, the best ones were the ones who said, hey, do you have a minute? Sure. Then they'd come into my office and they'd close the door behind them and they'd sit down and then I'd be like, uh oh. <laughs> and, yeah. and you don't want to hear that. My goodness, I wanted everybody every day to say, you are the greatest who ever lived. Nobody could be better than you. But that's not realistic. What was what was important and what really worked was when they'd say, you know what? You didn't really do a good job on this thing here. And this is something we need to fix. How can we fix it? People are upset about X, Y, or Z. And you learn not to take that personally. You learn that that's part of being a leader and that's part of how a quality organization works. A great organization doesn't work. Everybody just goes, yes, yes, yes. You're great. Whatever you say. Yeah, for sure. I, I agree with that. Um, now, do you think that the Rays can be caught for the division lead? I do. Uh, yeah. They they got off to such a great start. They've come back to earth a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. Again, it's early. The Yankees were so great last year and they proved that you could get off to a great start and, and basically get caught. So, yeah. Yeah. And they're, and they're having some arm troubles too, I think. Um, and, and what about the Orioles? Are they, are they for real? Like, are they going to come back to earth or are they, are they just going to be that, that really tough team to beat uh, the whole year? My impression of the Orioles heading into this year is I seem to have this belief. I've never put it to the test, but it's just sort of like, it feels like I'm right about this, that a team like the Orioles that comes out of nowhere like last year and is really good usually regresses that next mm-hmm. year mm-hmm. before they get better again. So I've actually been surprised that the Orioles have been this good. So maybe maybe they're going to be tough uh, all year long. It looks like they will be. It looks like they have a really good uh, foundation. But the fact that they've been this tough so far has surprised me. Yeah, I guess in hindsight, like I w- they didn't really make any moves in the off season. So that was kind of what made me think, you know, they're not going to be so great, but the moves they did make now that we're looking at it from the big picture is that, you know, like they've brought up Grayson Rodriguez and they've, and Gunnar Henderson and, and their shortstop, uh, what's his name? <laughs> he, he's, he's, he's having a career year and, and uh, uh, Adley Rushman is having an MVP type season. So these guys, they've brought in guys from within instead of, instead of bringing in like people were saying that they should have maybe taken a, a run at, at Carlos Rodon and, and, and guys like that, but they've just done everything from, from within their own organization. And, you know, that's part of the way the Orioles used to operate, right? They used to have a great organization. They had so many great, great pitchers and so many great players. So you think about the great Orioles, most of them were homegrown. Mm-hmm. A whole bunch of them, Eddie Murray, Jim Palmer, Cal Ripken Jr. You just go down the list. Mm-hmm. They made some great trades, too. They brought in guys like Ken Singleton or, um, you know, a lot of guys they got from the Yankees there in that late 70s group, Tippy Martinez and um, Scotty McGregor. Uh, Rick Dempsey, a lot of those guys came in a big trade with the Yankees. But for the most part, the Orioles have been a team that really promotes from within. A lot of their great players were were homegrown and looks like they went back to that model and looks like they drafted well and they've nurtured a team. I just read a great book. It was it's called uh, um, Baseball's Endangered Species by a man named Lee Lowenfish. Mm-hmm. And it's about the whole um, history of scouting. Mm-hmm. really tells the uh, history of baseball through the histories of various scouts. And really, that was the whole idea of many teams, right? We're going to build a foundation on developing one type of quality ball player or a variety of types of players, I guess. You can't just have one guy who hits one way or whatever. But, you know, like a philosophy, an organizational philosophy. Mm-hmm. These are the types of players we want. And you're going to promote that through a system. And when that works, you you could uh, create something that has sustained success for a long time. 
Yeah, and Ken Rosenthal wrote an article, I think maybe it was even last week, he was talking about how the reason why the Dodgers are, are, are performing so well versus the Padres is because they are embracing that kind of organizational philosophy. And it's funny that you mentioned that about the Orioles because it seems like the organizational philosophy that they've adopted is the Houston Astros <laughs> philosophy, which is very kind of uh, averse to scouting, uh, at least uh, investing too much in scouting. I, I'm not sure really what they're doing now. It's 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 probably a little different but uh but yeah it's it's funny how 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 this baseball world operates yeah it's cyclical it goes back and forth right mm-hmm. the money mm-hmm. ball then it goes away from that i think the idea is you always want to have the next great idea you always want to be a step or two ahead of everybody else mm-hmm. and whether that can come through scouting or analytics or a combination i would think it would be a combination if i were running an organization i would want the brightest minds that understand every aspect of baseball, and we would sit around and we discuss all those things. Yeah, yeah, and I don't I, like I understand how using technology as a scouting tool is important for sure, but I don't understand how taking people away from the ballpark, being actually at the ballpark watching in person, uh, and, unless it's a the only reason is it's a cost saving move, really. Like you need to have people seeing bodies in action as opposed to just video. Correct. And when you're drafting kids and you're deciding who to sign, I think that's an essential part. You want to see. Their makeup, right? Mm-hmm. It, the history of baseball, the history of sports, the history of everything. There, there, there have been. We could make you the argument. Maybe it's a bad argument, but but I think it, you can at least make an argument. Maybe the greatest baseball players of all time are people we've never heard of, who for whatever reason they got hurt or something along the way, or or they just mm-hmm. didn't have the makeup to push themselves hard enough to do what they needed to do to succeed at all those various levels through the minors and, and sustain that through an entire baseball group. We've seen great players come and go some, some high draft picks who never mm-hmm. even make it to the major leagues. And part of that you would think is part of the makeup that you would hope that your scouting department can see and analyze as they're deciding like, this is a guy worth like Anthony Volpe. I don't think anybody says he is a guy who is super talented like he is going to be the next whomever right like that but he seems to have a a a a fire and a drive and an ability to understand the game he seems to be what we might call in a winner right he can he can play he knows how to play he knows what it is to be a baseball player and you have to find guys that can that can fill that kind of role that can be that kind of player it's not just talent it's who you are as a person too yeah, and I think one of the most famous uh, versions of that of that you know quitting baseball story is the guy who almost quit, which was uh, Mickey Mantle. You know, there's that famous story about he wanted to go back and and work in the mines with his his dad in Oklahoma, and and his dad said, "Come on, let's go pack a bag, let's go." And am I am I wrong in remembering that Roy Roy White had a similar kind of version of that, or am I am I am I just making that up in my brain? Uh, I don't think Roy White had a. At a at a situation like that, okay, where he I, was I, ready to quit. No, I could be. I, I'm just mixing up because there's there, he's not like Mickey Mantle isn't the only one who who wanted. No, to Ron Gidry had a t- had a story like that where he called his wife and said that's it. The Yankees sent him back down, and he was driving back to Louisiana, something like that. And and he eventually his wife said no, go back, and he gave yeah. it one last shot. Yeah, and then um, he became great. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. No. Um, you tweeted recently that you're working towards completing a manuscript. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Project? You know what? Great question. And it goes right back. This is cyclical. goes right back to the top. Mm-hmm. So I just sent it in. I oh. just sent it to my publisher today. Um, it, we already have a contract and all that. I So I can't divulge too many of the, the secrets it. yet because he just got it. But in short, last year, um, as we talk about running There was this silly idea I've had for well over a decade. Like, I wonder if I could run every single day for an entire year. Do I have that kind of determination and stick-to-itiveness and ability and focus? And so I did. Uh, Last year, I ran every single day for the entire calendar year. And the book really is basically the story of how I did it and what I went through. Yeah, that's just it. Just blows my mind that you did that. And and you know, once it's out, I'm definitely gonna gonna have to get get my hands on a copy of that for sure. Um, and speaking of books, the other book that is available now, released early April, is is Roy White from Compton to the Bronx. Everybody should pick that up. It's available Amazon, 
wherever you get your books, everywhere. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Perfect. So, so, uh, so Paul, thanks so much for for coming back. And and once your once your uh, your 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 new book is out, we'd love to have you back on the show. Matt, I'd love to come on. I can't wait. And good luck in your race. Keep going. You know, every day we just keep moving forward. That's right. All right. Thanks. Thank you. Have a great day. Looking at-